0: Welcome back to another Cardinals off day podcast post London edition. Uh, The Cardinals finished up a two game series in London, uh, split the series with the Cubs, despite a very strong effort to lose both games. uh, But they pulled out the second game. Uh, I'm here, as always, with my good friend Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Glad that the Cardinals uh, woke up, uh, you know, for the end of the second game and were able to escape uh, London without being swept by the Cubs.
0: It would have felt uh, like quite the bummer to fly all the way over there just to lose two games. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes,
1: I mean, I was they could do that very well here and have shown that. Uh, my my heart went out on Saturday to the folks who traveled to London to watch the Cardinals lose, because, you know, I have to be honest with you, Ben, as we've discussed a trip to St. Louis, I kind of have to talk myself into pain to go to St. Louis to watch them lose. I, I'm very glad that uh, we... Uh, had a new baby when we did because she saved me uh, in the very early stages, nipped the planning in the bud for wasting my money on a trip to London to watch the Cardinals play baseball. Well, t- two thoughts there, Ben. First of
0: all, we should say congratulations to you on the on the new baby. Um, oh, thank you. And uh, and and second of all, you know, I think uh, a trip to London is always a joy. So I'm sure folks that went had a had a lovely time, uh, you know, even if they attended a a game and even two games where the Cardinals uh, didn't didn't play real well. But uh, I certainly understand where you're coming from.
1: Oh, no. I mean, I'm just thinking you, you hit the nail on the head for me. Like if I were there, you know, after Saturday, I'd be like, well, why would I even go on Sunday? I can go do (laughs) something that's so much more enjoyable and fun. uh, (laughs) And I will have a fonder memory of uh, than watching the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals play baseball while being managed by Ollie Marmol. Like, yeah, uh, you know, get
0: me out of here. You know, ultimately that's why I chose not to go is I was like, um, I mean, I've been to London before, and I've been and on any of these trips. I, uh, you know, it's like, well, that'd be kind of cool, you know, to go. But then I was also like, but you know what? I can also go see the Cardinals in like, you know, exciting places like Kansas City, right? Or, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, <like, laughs>
1: Minneapolis. I can drive down or, for the day, right? Yeah, like.
0: yeah like i i i can and have seen them play in all kinds of uh you know uh, great and middling american cities so <laughs> like if i'm going to if i'm going to go to europe i might uh you know do other stuff but uh, uh at any rate uh you know we just recorded uh a couple games ago obviously so not a ton has really happened so we're we're uh probably going to give you a little bit of a truncated episode here and not necessarily roll through all of our usual beats, um, but we are going to get to a, a bunch of mailbag questions in just a moment. Uh, ben, before we do that, though, um, any, uh, you know, any any other just kind of takeaways from you, I guess you've kind of hit on it a little bit already from the, the, the London series, I mean, for me, it just kind of looked like the uh, you know the the cardinals season really uh you know boiled down uh, into uh two games basically
1: uh yeah it you know we were joking before we came on the air uh about how there's only so many ways you can say the St. Louis Cardinals suck <laughs> um and unfortunately for us they aren't really getting creative very much in how they suck yeah. Yeah. um they're just not good Yeah. And and they are consistently not good in the same ways. And it's frustrating to watch. Um, And then, you know, they do kind of offer us a little bit of variety where it's like, oh, hey, remember how we played Tommy Edmund over Randy Rosarena and then traded Randy uh, in and we played Edmund in the outfield. We're now going to do that with, you know, Dylan Carlson. It's like if you look at these two players, one of these players could be a f- potential future piece. The other will be gone in two years and, and is a bench utility player. And they're going to play him in center field, apparently, over Carlson. Even though one of these people needs an extended look so you can properly plan for 2024 and beyond, and the other doesn't. And the player who doesn't need an extended look is Tommy Edmund. And yeah. It, very frustrating
0: uh, yeah i mean i'm i'm fully off the dylan carlson train on that one but i i i understand where you're coming from i mean for me these two games it was you know the cardinals pitching is terrible and but one every now and then they score enough runs to um <laughs> outdo well, do their terrible pitching
1: right and that's kind of one of the other funnier things that is it's like oh you just now figured out you need as many fast people in the outfield who are good at fielding hard hit fly balls <laughs> right. because yes. you because your pitching is terrible. But the yeah. problem is like with Adam Wainwright, it doesn't matter who you have in the outfield. They're yeah. going to score a lot of runs and there's just, there's only so much you can do. But well, you, can't, also, you,
0: you can't chase down the balls that are on the other side of the fence either.
1: Right. Or, you know, the ones that are hit, you know, 105, 110 miles an hour off the fence or off yeah. the warning track, you know, like yeah. it's, it uh, you can only mitigate the effect of the hard contact that your pitchers give up so much, you know, yeah. you, and, and they, they have shown, I think pretty clearly that, you know, all of this is not enough for them to, you know, really put it together and be a good team. I mean, they've been yeah. a below 500 team, since May 1st. This is just they're just not good.
0: No, no they are not. They are not. And uh I think we're going to talk about some of the ways that they're not good and some of the ways that maybe they could if not get better um you know this year perhaps get better in the future as we kind of dig through the mailbag here. So let's jump right in um the first question I think we can move <laughs> through fairly quickly. Uh Ben Without Hats um, but not actually, but we're Ben and you and I are both here, neither of us are wearing hats either, so I guess we would also count as a Ben's without hats. Asks, uh, can you make it stop? Um, I can answer for us, no, neither Ben nor I can make it stop because if we could, we would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hashtag fire ollie fire Moseiliac at smithy steven asks, um, one, how does that clown Oliver Marmol still have a job? Two, <laughs> How does that clown John Mozeliak still have a job? I feel like the tone of the mailbag, Ben, has taken a little bit of a, uh, a sharper, sharper turn here uh, as we reach the end of June. Are you are you noticing this as well?
1: Yes, yes. People seem to uh, be growing restless uh, with the regime that is currently in charge. And, you know, it's. It's fascinating because it feels like Mosaylock is just going to stick with Marmal because he's already fired Matheny, who he hired, and he's already fired Schilt, who he hired. Well, and um, I would say, I would
0: say, Ben, it doesn't, I, I, it's not even just that it seems like that. I think that's what basically was directly reported by uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal and some of the local beat reporters, uh, you know, uh, several weeks back when there was kind of a round of reporting on the, like, you know, who's on the managerial hot seat. They, they essentially directly said that, that, you know, Mo basically realizes, uh, you know, he's already burned through these two managers. So if he fires another one, it just very clearly the finger points to him. So, yes.
1: yeah. Yes. And that's, that's, uh, that's exactly what it seems like. And you know what? The other th- dy- dynamic here is he probably, you know, wants the next president of baseball operations to be able to fire Marmol and hire his guy, right? Yeah. Like like he, if you're Moselloc and you're under contract, his, his contract is for two more years after this year, if I remember correctly. And so if you're going to you know, fire Marmol in the middle of this. Presumably you would go to an interim manager and then maybe hire another one. So you're, you know, you're what? Hiring a guy for two years and then your successor is going to take over. And, you know, who does that person, you know, they don't want to be stuck with your, what, your fourth manager in uh, five years. So I, I think it's kind of like... To a degree or or to an extent, I should say, uh, Moselloc, I feel like he's just going to take flack for Marmal. And he probably understands that like Ollie Marmal is not going to have a job in a couple of years, in all likelihood, right? Like Moselloc's successor almost surely fires him.
0: Yeah, I, I think if Moselak is is the one who's making this decision, I think that's absolutely what happens for the reasons you just articulated, and those reasons that were kind of you know reported a few weeks back. I think the wild card here is you know does you know Bill DeWitt just step in and say no, this is you 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 know this this guy needs to be fired basically you know this is. This is too much, which I think, you know, has got to be a possibility here because this is quite bad. Um, and the other thing I, I, I just wonder a little bit about where we're at here now, you know, um, have they fully decided we're going to uh, we're going to sell and we're going to rebuild. It certainly looks like that. But I mean, again, they are still in this just terrible division. I, honestly, I think another option would be, and the, and the thing is, you'd have to do it now, literally on the, you know, on the flight on the way back from London, you know, fire Marmol, um, we know that that we saw this at the Phillies last year, we see this all the time, right, that, you know, just even that, that that change alone tends to kind of light a little bit of a spark, and you've got a month until the trade deadline, see what that gets you right see what that gets you over the course of of a month and then make that decision and if that lights enough of a spark over the next month um you know then maybe actually consider uh you know uh going after the division i think that would be a reasonable move to make as well given that you know the the just on paper the talent on this team you know in this weak division you know um is still Kind of reasonable, um, you know. It's really depressing that the reason to keep Marmol is essentially, you know, John Mozeliak's job security. You know, and that's that's like not even like the secret reason. That's like the public reason, right? That's like the saying the quiet part loud reason for why they're keeping this guy around. It's pretty. It's it's pretty depressing. Um, I mean the the way that the you know just everything from not just the the one loss record the vibe, I mean, the, the defense and the base running and everything is so just egregiously sloppy, which, you know, we remember that was the big thing, you know, the, the big stated reason when, uh, Matheny was finally fired and we did see quite a turnaround when Schilt came in, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that Marmol is not able to kind of carry on whatever it was organizationally that like Schilt had brought in that kind of, you know, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, kind of cleaned that up and held that at a pretty high level. I mean, it was, it was there last year, but it's whatever they had been doing has just eroded this year. And I mean, some of its personnel, some of its other things, but um, you know, it's, it's kind of an unmitigated disaster. As you said, Ben, it's, it's pretty, it's hard to imagine a world where, you know, yeah, Marmol weathers this, and then is some kind of like long-term figure in St. Louis. So it, uh, you know, I would love to see, uh, you know, Bill DeWitt assert himself if that's what it's going to take, and I think it will, um, you know, step in, fire Marmol, see if something happens. I don't think that'll happen. Another reason I don't think it'll happen is, you know, for the past several years, there has been a pretty viable uh, alternative often in the bench coach position. You had Marmol himself. And then last year, you know, you had Skip Schumacher, you know, this year you got, you know, Joe McEwing there, right. You've got, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's great kind of internal options. So I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, I fully expect that he's going to stick around because of all the reporting that we've heard, but I'd, I'd love to see, uh, uh, love, love to see a change made. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, there's just, it's, you know when you look at this you just you can't help but ask yourself um and and a, we have been harping on you know for example the starting rotation right like we've done this yeah. for years now that yeah. they need more higher level innings but you know i let's be blunt here ben if you gave them if you gave this team an ace starting pitcher they're what six and a half out you know what i mean like it's like those things aren't going to move the needle and and what you have is you have a collection of players who aren't really being and and we've talked about this on past episodes who aren't like being awful you know they aren't horribly underperforming right right but it's sort of this the style of play and and the mistakes and And so when you look at it, it it really does feel like you need that type of managerial change at at this point in time. Like it really doesn't feel like this group of players is going to just magically go on, you know, that win streak that gets them right back into it. They just feel they feel lost. And and this is the feeling that, that teams show usually before like their manager even if it's joe Girardi gets fired yep. you know absolutely. you brought up the phillies so i mean i i like your idea where it's like they need to make a change to see what to see if there's anything that would spark a turnaround before they start unloading players so mm-hmm. maybe they'll do that uh it sure seems like they won't though absolutely Uh, Moving along, we have uh, DeWallet Inspector asks, I think everyone feels bad about the Wainwright situation. Do you think Waino will retire immediately or very soon after he gets win 200, assuming things can fall together to allow him to do so? Or will he stick around till the end of the year?
0: Uh, I think Wainwright is going to stick around until they deprogram his key card Ben, um i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i you know i the, people have talked about this for years right and people have been like oh adam wainwright like he'll he'll step aside when he doesn't have it anymore uh all evidence points to the contrary folks like he will be he will be dragged kicking and screaming out so um i know 200 is a, a magical number um I, I think if the organization steps in after he gets 200 and says, you know what, like, I, uh, why don't you use this as a time to kind of ride off into the sunset because that's what you need to do. Maybe, you know, he would be given the opportunity to um, frame it that way, but uh, I certainly don't see him, uh, you know, choosing of his own volition to uh, exit gracefully. What do you think?
1: Uh, I agree with you and I don't think there is anyone in St. Louis Cardinals management who is going to make that decision for him. I mean, yeah. even this weekend, Marmol couldn't even pull him out of the game on Saturday. You look at the yeah. way he managed Wainwright versus Liberator today. Yeah. He was aggressive with Liberator and he, now to be sure he has to, you know, they have the days off, you know, to travel back, but, you know they they had one game and then two days off, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's there's no reason in that game to think that Adam Wainwright is gonna turn it around and and have what it takes or anything like that. And he just let him stay in the game, and oh, yeah. and, then, and then aggressively removed Liberator and and the team was able. Uh, to come back, and, and that is one example. But, and we've talked about this before, and I, I hate to continue to make the point, but the the Cardinals have not had someone who is capable of managing Adam Wainwright since Tony La Russa left. He he was the only one who could really do that. And even when La Russa left, you know, Wainwright was on the injured list because he had Tommy John said in 2011. But before that, you know, Wainwright was definitely in the Chris Carpenter. He's a guy I trust to lose games, you know, like you leave yeah, that guy yeah. in and let him win or lose the game. But that was also him at the height of his powers. Now we're yeah. seeing a guy who needs to be managed a little bit more and about the closest anyone has come was, uh, Mike Schilt, uh, maneuvering the rotation to get him as many starts as possible at bush stadium uh, a much more pitcher friendly uh, yeah. ballpark to pitch in and so i just i think wainwright is going to be out there until he's injured or the season's over i yeah. i don't think he's going to leave uh on a high note by any stretch of the of the imagination yep uh our good friend uh daniel
0: shop uh at c70 Asks which player under contract past 2023 would you trade at the deadline, uh, Ben? So the under uh, under contract past 2023 makes it, of course, a little more interesting. Um, who who would be on your list,
1: Ben? Well, this is an interesting one, and so I'm I'm going to uh, sort of playfully ask or is this the type of trade that has become a hallmark of the mosaic era where we pay another team to take a player from us (laughs) you know like the mike leak the dexter fowler you know those types of trades where you know we we pay 75 percent of a player's salary to go play or or more to go Mm -hmm. play somewhere else to get them out of town um because uh, if that's the case, I know a generic brand soda i I would like <laughs> to see them trade um, you know i I think Stephen Matz uh, would be nice to get out of town um, you know that that would be someone that I would be looking to trade uh, you know but I also recognize that's gonna take you know some some creative, Approach to the contract uh in particular his salary and and who's paying what uh for him to go pitch in the next couple years what do yeah. you think ben
0: well, I mean there's a few names that we've kind of brought up before um you know the big name of course is Paul Goldschmidt you know if they could um, you know uh uh he has a full no trade clause. It would be going extremely big. But Goldschmidt is under contract through 2024. So he fits the parameters of this question. Um, he is the player who would get them the the biggest haul um in in a sort of rebuild situation. So if it were me and I could trade a Paul Goldschmidt, and I also had a Nolan Gorman and a Jordan Walker both sitting yeah. there, you know, ready to step in and fill in at that position. Um, you know, that's that's a move that I would make. Um, I think they'll have a very hard time probably finding uh, a trading partner and um you know him uh uh you know uh, giving up that no trade clause, etc. So I, I think the odds of it actually happening are are pretty low, but that's certainly something that I would do. Um Tyler O'Neill fits the terms of this as well. I think you know Tyler O'Neill is as, as good as gone at this point. I think. He's um, I think they're keeping him on track to, you know, come back just enough before the trade deadline to show that he's healthy and then they're going to take whatever deal they can get for Tyler O'Neill. So, I, you know, I expect for him to go. Um, You know, beyond that, I certainly think they should, in the event that they're uh, rebuilding trade um, Helsley and Gallegos. you know, again, I don't think there's a point in hanging on to relievers when you're rebuilding um, Helsley being injured, of course, complicates that maybe the value proposition there, perhaps even enough that you don't move, move him. Um, uh, Paul, DeYoung young um, has the option years, whether you want to c- count him in this or not, you know, he's definitely somebody um, that I would move. Um, you know, I think those are kind of the main ones that jump out of me. Th- then, of course, you also have just the whole. You know, obviously, you ask. Uh, you know, anybody that any, any team is interested in, right? It's like any player at, at the right price. Um, you know, if there's a team out there that. Uh, you know, considers Tommy Edmond a starting shortstop and is going to give you starting shortstop value for him, I would move Tommy Edmond in a heartbeat. I don't think there's probably any team like that. So, you know, if, if every other team, you know, considers Tommy Edmond, a utility player, it's probably worth hanging on to Tommy Edmond, the utility player, right? But, um, you know, th- th- a lot of players like that where, yeah, sure, if someone will, you know, give you uh, overvalue on them, you, you'd think about it. But uh, those are the main names that kind of jump out at me. What do, what do you think, Ben?
1: I mean, you've taken a little bit more of an optimistic approach, where like the Cardinals might do something a little bit more aggressive to help them reload. Whereas, well, well I, and
0: I, I also read it as he said, "Which player would you trade?"
1: So, I'm, oh, I'm would you of, trade? Sure. I,
0: I'm, I'm going a little more me than uh, this isn't what I think they will necessarily do.
1: Oh yeah, then I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think you need to trade Paul Goldschmidt like yesterday. I, you know, there's, and, you know, a lot of people find kind of his persona on the field endearing. It grates on me. And I feel like the team has kind of taken it on this year where it's kind of like, I don't enjoy this. (laughs) And, and like, I understand most people don't like their jobs. Okay. I I totally understand that. And that's fine. But like, when you're playing baseball, this team sport uh, where people pay to watch you, as opposed to like, you know, working in an office setting or, you know, outdoors, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, doing physical labor or what have you, you know, and it just kind of, it's just kind of like, I wish you would, it feels like he's so good. He, he needs to, you know do something more on the field and i'm not saying this is fair i'm just saying like his kind of just the way he carries himself seems to have infected his teammates to the point where i'm just kind of like you know he's the he's the best player on the team you can get the most for him yeah um and it frees up a position for gorman or walker so that seems like an obvious thing to me I agree with Ben. Paul Goldschmidt is a clubhouse
0: cancer. They need
1: to trade him. So, next question. Also, uh, also uh, Turner Ward is his buddy, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so, are uh, the people who treat hitting coaches like offensive coordinators in football? Uh, th- there's another reason for you. I I don't have any problem with Turner Ward. I just uh, <laughs> I I just wanted to put that out there for the folks who who have not quite recalibrated after Albert leaving. You know, who who do they need to go after? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, all right so the,
0: uh, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, uh, moving on to the next one, uh, Andrew Leak asks, what kind of return could Cardinals expect for trading Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery? Uh, yeah, well, um, you know,
0: I would say... Not necessarily a ton, Um, both are uh, free agents um, at the end of the season, right? So if you're talking about kind of a trade deadline move of both of them, um, I mean, Flaherty has been so erratic. I mean, so incredibly erratic that, um, you know, I'm almost like, who even, you know, who, who acquires Jack Flaherty, right? Because you're trading to a contender I mean, it, does a contender want to add a Jack Flaherty as someone that's sort of like a guaranteed rotation piece? I don't think, uh, you, you know. I mean, who who would look at Jack Flaherty right now and say that's somebody that we definitely want in our rotation and we know is going to be an upgrade, right? You know, though no, it's it's more of a kind of wild card situation. Um, you know, Montgomery. Um, has, has been a a little more consistent, but has kind of underperformed his expectations. So, um, you know, in either case, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, and, and again, in both cases, I think since you're, you're talking about guys that are on expiring contracts, you're going to be trading them to a contender, right? So you're going to be trading them to somebody who's going to be giving you prospects. They're not going to be giving you major league talent. So, um, you know, they're, you're probably going to be looking for, you know, for pitching, um, you're not going to get like frontline starting pitching, um, uh, you know, prospects for either of these guys. I think you're going to get, you know, pretty, you know, maybe, you know, may- possibly, a you know, like a middle of the road starting pitching prospect. I think more likely you're going to get kind of, you know, reliever type guys, um in return for these guys that would
1: be my expectation what do you think ben yeah i i think you're probably looking at you know something less than like what they got for you know jaime garcia which was gantt you you, you know what i mean but like when he was in the low a low level of the minors which is a guy who's not good enough really to start in the majors and can be an okay reliever maybe you know yeah. and and yeah. and they could they could recalibrate and go for maybe someone with a higher ceiling uh, with more risk, but i I think you're probably looking for uh, low minor league pitching prospects at this point in time. Um, where the Cardinals like what they see and feel that they can turn those players into a useful big leaguer in the next three to four years. That's right. probably what you're looking for or, right. or they would be getting. Or if you're looking
0: for like a John Gatt you're probably going to get essentially like a Connor Thomas or somebody who's like a, a kind of higher level prospect, but somebody who maybe looks like they've plateaued and, you know, may, may not offer you much kind of major league value. Um, potentially. Uh, all right. Uh, drizzy Druster asked, do you think even though the Cardinals aren't in a position to be buyers that they need to get a starting pitcher that has control for the next few seasons? Also, my opinion is they need to trade for a starting pitcher and sign one of the top starting pitchers in free agency because one isn't going to fix this rotation. Ben, what do you say?
1: Um, I, I think the time To add a starting pitcher is probably not at the trade deadline because they're going to be bidding against teams that are that frankly have a have a much greater need right like the teams that they're going to be bidding against are on the cusp of the playoffs and need a good Pitcher to help them win the World Series. The St. Louis Cardinals need more than one good pitcher to help them win the 2024 World Series. And so I would be very surprised at this point in time if the Cardinals added like a high caliber starting pitcher under club control past this season at the trade deadline. Yes. Um, I, I think it's much more likely that they would do that when they can look at the free agent market the, and the trade market and you know find the value that they assess to be the best, rather than bidding against teams that are highly motivated buyers because they're on the cusp of the postseason and looking to win the World Series because those teams are going to drive up the price and they' there's going to be multiple of those yeah. teams. And so that, that is just not a market that John Mosey has really done much in historically, much to fan chagrin, by the way. Yeah. And, and that's when the Cardinals had a chance to win the world series by acquiring such a pitcher in the season in question. And yeah. so I would be shocked if they did anything like that uh, during this 2023 season, which has been just a catastrophic failure. Yeah, I mean, uh, the
0: the kind of major leaguer for major leaguer um, trades, the sort of challenge type trades like you saw last year with the Cardinals and the Yankees, the Bader for Montgomery trade, those are exceedingly rare, right? And of course, that was also the rare kind of contender and contender trade. And that's not at all what we'd be talking about this season. We'd be talking about your standard um you know cardinals out of it trading with a contender so cardinals are going to be giving up major league talent they're going to be getting uh minor leaguers they're going to be getting guys that are not going to contribute to whoever they're trading with because the team they're trading with wants every single contributing major leaguer that they have for the run that they're they're loading up to make so So I think they will be looking to acquire starting pitchers, but it's going to be a matter of like whoever they trade with, it's going to be that thing of, how high up their, you know, uh, prospect list can they p- pluck guys from their, you know, from their kind of list of, of you know, top ranked starting pitchers, basically, is what they're kind of going to kind of be aiming to do, you know, and can they get a couple, you know, guys out of some organizations, you know, top 10 or top, you know, whatever, um, I think that's what they're going to
1: be able to do. I think the most like the most optimistic thing you could maybe look at is, is that they get a pitcher who is like a double A pitcher who could be in the major league bullpen or compete for the major league rotation in 2024, but is more likely to do, to compete for the major league rotation in 2025. Like that just, you you know what I mean? It like, not a, not a spring training starter, but like maybe a June or spring training 2024 starter you know like that that would be best case scenario unless well although it depends who the who they give up and if
0: you know if they if they were to move goldschmidt i think you could bump that up and goldschmidt could potentially get them you know uh, uh more of a guy who's like a little more of a jewel of another organization's um uh You know organization and somebody who who you know maybe is is just about ready to enter their rotation next season could be entering the cardinals rotation instead but you know obviously if you're not getting on goldschmidt if you're not giving up some of the higher end talent you're not going to get that
1: yeah no absolutely not i i think they're they're going to be in a tough position because i think the the frame of this question i think is kind of what the team was looking at as a plan entering the season, I, I firmly believe they wanted to add someone to help put them over the top this year at the trade deadline, and then would be around next year yeah. to help bolster the rotation. But things have gone so poorly that, that that plan has kind of blown up in their face as well. So yeah. they're in a very tough spot entering next season. Yeah. All right, on to the next question. Uh, We have one from uh, Kate, uh, who asks, a 13 under travel ball team versus our bullpen. How embarrassing are the results? I'd honestly like to ponder the options and pathways for revamping our bullpen. Who would we want? Who would we be willing to trade to get them? And would we see any growing pains with the changes like we saw with Wilson coming in? Our bullpen seems particularly resistant to changes.
0: Well, uh, as as you know, Ben, I am very in favor of changing bullpens. And I feel like bullpens are uh, kind of meant to be turned over. So um, I'm much less concerned about uh, about kind of, uh, changing over a bullpen. And, and also I'll say that to me, like a bullpen should be the last thing that you add if you're a contender. So, um, you know, I would, uh, and the fact that the Cardinals aren't a contender right now, I would dump any valuable bullpen pieces they have. So again, I've, as I said, top Hicks Gallegos, uh, Helsley, although, I mean, the fact that he's injured now, he's, you know, may not have the trade value here, but, I would I would trade those guys um, and especially because relievers tend to have their highest trade value at the trade deadline, um, right? I would unload those guys. Um, you don't need them. You don't need a bullpen when you're uh, you know when you've, you've cashed out for the season, right? Um, and then, you know, next season, you, you just, you have so many options to build a bullpen, right? Because you do have your guys in your minor league system. Um, it's it's cheaper to potentially sign guys that are just kind of available and floating out there. Um, I really don't think you should ever go out and spend big money on guys in the bullpen. So um, I know the questioner kind of asked us about who we would want. I, I just almost never really get interested in like specific bullpen guys because I just think um, bullpen guys t- are, you know, they're pitchers who have already kind of washed out of starting pitching. They tend to have pretty short um, lives of usefulness as relievers. So I just think it's, it's not a good idea to fall in love with relief pitchers, you know, get what you can out of them while you can. And if you can trade them in for any value elsewhere, do it. That's pretty much my philosophy.
1: Uh, I'm not quite uh, as uh, as firm in in my belief regarding relievers as you. No, but I'm no not one is off. Ben. No one is, <laughs> but I'm not far off. Like, and even the idea, you know, who do you who would you target to bring in? I, you know, to me, every year when people, you know, react with online social media outrage with the depth bullpen signing that they make, like late in the winter or early in the spring. I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, because to me, it's, there's, there's that person uh, could very well be the missing piece uh, in the bullpen or or help strengthen that bullpen. And that's just the nature of the beast. There's very little in the way of a sure thing. And I would be in favor of, you know, just bringing as many people in for the cattle call as, as possible and, you know, making the decisions based on, on what you see from them you know, in terms of their metrics and and how they've been pitching, I I wouldn't target any individual player via trade uh, because that's relievers. You know, I mean, I think there's just, it's just as viable to go sign, you know, your free agent to minor league contracts with an invitation to big league camp as to go spend, you know, thirty. 20 or 30 million on a reliever. I, I just, there's a lot better ways to spend money and you know, this bullpen has not been good this year. Don't misunderstand me, but to me, the starting rotation is the foundation for your uh, bullpen. And if you can have enough, good starters that allow your manager, especially when your manager is someone like Ali Marmal, who seems to be a little bit in over his head, if you can make his job easier by giving him better starting pitchers, which means he has to rely on his relievers less often and has to make fewer decisions as to how to deploy them, that is a good thing. And so, and that is something that dates back to Tony LaRusse and probably frankly before Tony LaRusso. and and we are in a little bit of a different era now where starters are throwing a lesser share of the innings. But it's nonetheless true that if you've got one or two guys out of five who you can count on to give you six or more in the the majority of their starts, you know, you're you're gonna be you're gonna have an easier time as a manager than what Ali Marmal has had this year because yeah. Yeah. you know you're 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 not having relievers stretched as thin and that allows you to deploy guys when you have leads to save them or and and to notch those saves and it's just it just kind of perpetuates itself. And so that's what I would do. I I honestly believe the way to help this bullpen would have been to add that type of innings eating ace and, you know, maybe they'll go trade for someone like Lance Lynn to try to give them some innings and a little bit of an attitude adjustment to kind of help bolster the bullpen that way. Um, But, you know, frankly, at this point in time, even that type of trade would probably surprise me a little bit.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Ben Wheeler asks, Arenado recently made comments about Ollie having to manage a lot of youngins. However, the Orioles and D-backs excel with young teams. How much do you see having four plus rookie or second year players contributing to the inconsistency this year and an underappreciated fault of this roster?
1: You know, Arenado making that type of comment is interesting because he's been one of the biggest underperformers this year. So so like, uh, you know, one of Marmol's greatest problems as a manager this year has been Arenado not playing like Arenado. Um, I, I don't think Marmol having to manage youngins uh, has really been a problem. I think Marmol having to manage major league players is his problem. Um, I just it and it all goes back to me, you know, he just seemed to so overreact to Tyler O'Neill, you know, going in there, we play smart and relentless and da da, right? Well, okay, so you call O'Neill out for this base running play, but then you never call anyone else out. The team doesn't improve, and the team's one of the you know, has clearly slipped, uh and is not a good base running team. But you're, you're going to call O'Neal out in the early season for that. But then you don't do anything to remedy this situation when every other player just about is having those types of problems. And, and, you know, that's just an example. That doesn't have anything to do with age. That's just you not knowing how to set the tone and lead and to empower people and challenge them to be as good as they can be. And you either have that skill or you don't. And if you don't have it, then you shouldn't be managing a Major League Baseball team. And it doesn't have anything to do with the age of the players he's managing it. it, Frankly, if anything, it might have more to do with Marmol's age. I, I think he might have just gotten too high too quickly, like so many middle managers and so many organizations across the United States of America. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. And I think, you know, the players and everybody in the organization is getting asked on a daily basis, like, why is this team bad? And they don't know, right? They're <laughs> yeah, just, you right. know Every day they got to say something. And I think that this that's what Arenado said that day. I think if you went back to him the next day and you asked him, do you really believe that? He'd probably be like, eh, no, not really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's also one of those things where it's like the more Arenado talks, the more you understand how he sign that contract with the rockies and thought that they would be competitive right like he just doesn't really know he doesn't really understand these things you know he used to be good at fielding and he used to be good at hitting we don't know if he still is so it's uh i I hope he is i think he can turn it around but you know as you know Arnado, i don't really find very insightful Uh, about baseball when he talks about it if i'm being frank (laughs) so
0: like as (laughs) as as with most
1: most players to be honest so yes 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 Oh, totally true um so and and you're right they just get peppered with the same questions and they i think they feel compelled to try to come up with a new reason you know it's just human nature so i'm with you ben i wouldn't put too much weight into it um as we uh scroll down here we have uh sad boy summer worman asks from what you've seen are moises gomez lucan baker and juan yapez all likely quadruple A players long term or do you think any of them could be a real major league hitter when given a real opportunity Uh,
0: Well, you know, good timing on this, as uh, Memphis was just uh, here in uh, Des Moines this week playing the uh, Iowa Cubs. um, And uh, I was able to make it to a couple games and um, see each of these players play. And, uh, you know, I mean, my short answer is I think these are really all quad A players. And, um, you know, and I know that's kind of a... Uh, You know, it's an insulting thing. I mean, a quad A baseball player is a very good baseball player, right? (laughs) You know, these guys are these guys are quite good. Um, But, uh, you know, these guys also are all pretty similar in that, um, you know, they're very good right handed hitters with virtually no defensive value. And that is just one of the hardest things to crack into the major leagues uh, doing because there's a lot of other right-handed, you know, good right-handed hitters, and so many of them do provide defensive value somewhere. So, um, you know, you have to, as a right-handed hitter, you know, you've got to be, uh, you know, about an all-star caliber hitter to really, um, you know, almost be worth a roster spot. Uh, you know, when you you are basically just uh, unplayable defensively. And these guys kind of approach that. I think Luke and Baker might be um, more more decent as a first baseman. But of course, he's so fully blocked by Paul Goldschmidt. That becomes pretty much a moot point. I mean, you know, if I had to kind of pick one out of the list at this point, I guess I might almost wonder a little bit about Moises Gomez only because he's the youngest of the group. But, you know, I really don't think he can play outfield. I think he's kind of a you know, uh, uh, more of a DH only guy, but, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think they all do. Gomez is the only one who has not seen any major league time. I think he sees some major league time, you know, at some point in time, um, you know, uh, but I, you know, I, if I, if I had to pick, I, I definitely think, you know, quad a is the, the most likely outcome for these guys. What do you think, Ben? Uh,
1: I think so too. I, with Yepes I just I don't see a lot there you know as you say they they just don't really have much of a defensive position so the levels that they have to hit at uh, yeah. are very high I think some of Baker's quality of contact has gone up uh, quite a bit this year which makes him yeah. interesting but are you going to go with him over say Jordan Walker uh, or Nolan Gorman at DH or first base, and I just I, I don't see that happening, and, and the same is true with Gomez. So it, all, what I'm getting around to is there's a reason you haven't seen them get Major League at-bats and probably won't this year because there are players who profile better, have been rated more highly pretty much from the day of the Major League draft throughout their pro careers at every level of the minors who are ahead of them on the Major League depth chart right now. And so when you have two players who hit the ball really well and don't really have a defensive position, it becomes very difficult to then find time for these guys to play. And I think you, you see that when Yapesas has come up, when, when uh, Baker has come up, like they just there's very limited roster flexibility because the guys who don't have a lot of defensive value and also hit the ball well, and have proven they can do that at the major league level are in their way. So I, I think quad a, at least in the St. Louis organization is probably where these guys are going to be. And I don't, I, I don't think they would really shine necessarily in another organization. Although, you know, there are the Patrick wisdoms. There are, Uh, Players like that who have managed to go to another organization and and prove themselves as as good major leaguers. So it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right.
0: Uh, Michael Diver asks, he says, driving to mass Sunday morning, we listen to the cards go down four zero to the Cubs. Or an aggregate 13-1 in the Battle of London, I do appreciate um given that it was uh, you know in London using the uh, the soccer aggregate score there um when we turned on the radio immediately after mass, the cards were ahead seven to four. Am I obligated to spend every remaining game
1: in a church? Ben, can you give uh, Michael a ruling on this? uh no, you aren't uh there's. <laughs> uh no no causation between uh what you were doing and these St. Louis Cardinals winning a game uh f- just as you know for example also if you had happened to look out the window of the church and you saw a blind squirrel find a nut outside you would not have to <laughs> stay in church you know because those things happen and so the St. Louis Cardinals winning uh that game was a bit like a blind squirrel finding a nut um
0: 100%, 100% agree. However, if he does this next Sunday and the same thing happens, then Michael does actually have to uh, become a monk and move into a monastery for, for the rest of our benefit.
1: Yes, uh, that, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, our next question is from Raymond Sendejas. Uh Being from Iowa, how did you guys become Cardinals fans? Lots of Cub, Cubs fans up there what's your cards fan origin story yeah i appreciate that and this is our
0: last question kind of a nice one to to end on so i will take this one first ben and um and i I, feel, I may have mentioned this kind of previously uh but um you know for me um my uh my family uh is is kind of all from the uh St. Louis area originally um my uh, my dad's family is all from the the Harden area so actually if you've ever been to uh, Godar Diamond Island or any of the other there's several things named Godar around Harden Illinois um that's all my the, 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 those those are my people. Those are all Godars down there. So so while uh, while my uh, my dad and uh, and grandfather um, were uh, were kind of uh, up in Iowa, um, or my grandfather was born in, and grew up in St. Louis and everything, but um, then moved to Iowa. But lots of the kind of extended family were all still in the St. Louis area. So um, and actually, my mom's um, brothers were all kind of Cardinals fans as well, too. So really, like all of my. Family, we're all Cardinals fans, and then as a kid, um, we went down to St. Louis uh, basically like every summer, and so um, you know was down there. You know, went to you know first game when I was um, you know fairly young at Bush Stadium, you know the first major league game I went to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Um, you know, even though I uh, lived in Iowa when I was a, a young kid, um, and yes, there are a lot of Cubs fans here, but there are a lot of Cardinals fans in Iowa as well. Um, I certainly had the kind of classic uh, family indoctrination story. Um, that's, that's me, uh, Ben. How about you? Uh,
1: my grandpa on my dad's side was from southern Missouri as he would say, and he and my grandma moved uh, to Iowa. So that's kind of how my dad came to live here. And then he met my mom and they got married and stayed in Iowa. Uh, My grandpa, actually, a, a fun story about him as a boy. There was a widow who inherited her husband's business and was a successful businesswoman who had to go to St. Louis. Uh, on business trips like in the 30s so it would have been gas house gang and she would take my grandpa and his brother with her and they would you know like have to sit out wherever while she was in business meetings and took care of business in St. Louis and then she would take them down to the Cardinals game and you know buy them like you know popcorn or whatever and and watch the games with them and so he was a big cardinals fan uh my dad because of mickey mantle became a yankees fan the cbs game of the week and then uh my my dad was disappointed uh and my grandpa very pleased uh when i fell in love with ozzy smith and the running redbirds of the 1980s and uh have been a cards fan from a very young age never really a yankees fan uh even though my dad uh and my younger brother are huge Yankees fans so we're a a family that has fans uh, all over uh the map so to speak
0: yeah and you know Ben and I are both of the age uh kind of the the more the later half of the uh the whitey ball era um well when we were kind of uh you know a kid you know uh you know, kids and and kind of getting into baseball. I know my I went to my first Cardinals game uh, in person in 1987, and so for then that to be you know World Series year and everything, and that 87 teams, um, you know, pretty near and dear to my heart. So certainly helped, of course, that the Cardinals were good when we were uh, very young as well. <laughs> yes. So, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, hey, thank you as always to everybody um, for the the great questions. Really appreciate interacting with. With you all, um, the easiest way to send us questions is uh, on Twitter at Cardinals Off Day. Um, uh, we're also on uh, 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 Reddit and uh, Discord. And you can also email to us at uh, Cardinals Off Day at uh, substack.com dot uh, com. Ben, anything? Any
1: last thoughts before we uh, we wrap this one up? Uh- no, I want to thank everyone for all of their questions and uh, encourage you to enjoy the little things in this Cardinals season, like Jordan Walker's hit streak, his rookie year, uh, nice plays in the field, those types of things, because, you know, you kind of have to get more into the nuance to enjoy uh, the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Absolutely.
0: I know I enjoyed seeing um, Mason Wynn do some pretty special things uh, while uh, Memphis was in town here this week. So we will keep enjoying what we can, and uh, Ben and I will be back with you on the next Cardinals off day.